me. I didn't realize that. But oh, I didn't. Okay, well, it's me. So you've got me now. No songs, just me right now. <clears throat> so let me just get set up as usual. This is. Uh, one second. And yeah. And there we go. Open the Bible because it's important too, right? Okay, I'm ready. Good, brilliant. Good morning. Good. You guys are right. Good, I'm okay, I'm doing well too. Um, so let me just pray before I start, is that okay? Let me just pray. Um, so Father, may I speak in the name of, yeah, may I speak in your name, in the you know, Son's name, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Um, when I was re- researching this talk, I, I, um, I was thinking about this, and uh, I came upon this. Uh, tombstone, this, this epitaph written for uh, a pastor, a vicar, who was called John Berridge. Um, so John Berridge was the late vicar of St. Mary's, I believe, in Everton. And uh, so I, want, I just want to read what was written on this tombstone, which I think is really poignant. And then I want to read from the scriptures, and we would kind of dive in from there. So this is what is written on his tombstone. He says this. He says, Here lay the earthly remains of John Berridge, the late vicar of Everton, and an itinerant servant of Jesus Christ, who loved his master and his work after running on his errands many years, was called up to wait on him above. And then in parentheses, it says this. Reader, art thou born again? No salvation without new birth. I was born in sin, February 1716. Remained ignorant of my fallen state till 1730. Lived proudly on faith and works for salvation till 1754. Admitted to Everton Vicarage, 1755. Fled to Jesus alone for refuge and salvation, 1756. Fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd, 1756. 93. That's what was written on his tombstone, the late John Berridge. I think it's quite, yeah, quite amazing. Um, so keep that in mind. And then we're just going to read from the, from the scriptures. Uh, it should be on the screen. We're, we are looking at John chapter 3. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. It's in uh, yeah, the, the book of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 3, and we're going to go from verse 1 to 21. Um, but my focus will remain in the first, most likely the first 10 verses. So here we go. Uh, now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born? How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not fully understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of the earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Now, this is like the good bit right here. Everybody knows this verse right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so that is John 3, 21 verses. But we're not going to look at 21 verses because we'll be here for about an hour and a half, two hours. And it's Sunday. People have roast in the ovens and we want to go home and eat. Um, so my focus when I was thinking about this and praying about this is the first, first 10 verses, really. Um, when I was thinking, I remember when I was younger, when we hear the term being born again, a born again Christian, people, people's alarm bells start to go off. I, I know when I was a kid, when someone said, oh, I'm a born again Christian, I was like, okay, okay, so you're one of those one, are you? Um, this is me pre-Jesus, right? I was, I was a kid, so don't hold it against me. Um, people assume my dears and they'll go, oh, mm, I'm not sure, you know? Um, so they might assume a few things. They might assume that you're one of those who, you know, maybe you've had a really horrible past and something's happened in your past and you've come to church and you found Jesus and, 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 and you're born again. And, and they might think you're the Bible-thumping fundamentalist, you know, you're Bible-bashing. You might be that, that kind of guy that won't stop, just doesn't stop talking about Jesus. They might think you're, you know, oh, that's what you are. You're a born-again Christian. That's what it means to be a born-again Christian. Or they might think you're, a bit like me, the one who's a bit emotional when it comes to worship. The one when you close your eyes and you get your hands in the air, you might cry a few tears or two. And that's just me. I, I'm, I'm sharing now. Stop me. Um, but, you know, you cry a bit and, and you're really receptive and you feel really overwhelmed with God's presence. And they might think you're, you're that kind of born-again Christian. Um, or they might think you're, maybe you're one who was converted at the Billy Graham Crusades or, or you know, that kind of born-again Christian. So people have ideas as soon as that word comes up. It's been almost, in a sense, polluted. And the stereotypes. Um, but when I was thinking about this, we come to this text, to this story, to this discussion, and we encounter this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Um, and in this, in this whole little snippet of text, um, Jesus dismantles and he flips on its head the idea they need to be a specific kind of person to inherit the kingdom of God. But actually, one needs to be born again. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, as we read. He was a religious teacher. He was a religious leader. 
He belonged to the world respected member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Jewish man as a Pharisee. He was well taught in the law. He was trained in Jewish law and Jewish theology. Uh, he knew most likely the Old Testament by heart. He, he knew it. Um, it was his duty to study it. That's what he spent his time doing. Um, and that's why Jesus calls him Israel's teacher uh, in this conversation. He is a figurehead. He's part of this amazing ruling council. He's probably also very wealthy. Nicodemus was not, uh, was not a broken man. He didn't have need for anything else. He was just top of the food chain. He was this top dog. But this Pharisee, this, this, this Nicodemus, must have heard about uh, Jesus. Because we read, and I'm, I'm wondering, could he be, in chapter 2, verse 23, um, it says, those who saw the miracles performed by Jesus believed. Could Nicodemus have been of one of those who saw the miracles that Jesus did, and did he believe? Could it have been that his coming at night was because Nicodemus needed something more? Could he be questioning? Could he, was he unsure of, his, of what he was doing? Was he unsure of, 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 of his salvation? Was he unsure of what he had? Personally, I'm inclined to believe um, that he was genuine, that he was asking genuine questions when he came to Jesus. And we know most of the time in the scriptures, uh, teachers, uh, uh, Pharisees come to Jesus to trick him. Uh, to, to trap Jesus. But actually, we, John doesn't tell us any of this. But actually, there is this conversation uh, with Nicodemus and Jesus. And down the line in later, we also see Nicodemus assisting at the burial of Jesus. He's also assisting at Joseph of Arimathea at the burial of Jesus. So I do believe, and I genuinely believe, that this is a, a real conversation, and, and Nicodemus was asking a real, genuine thing. But surely Nicodemus, being a Jew, being a Pharisee, being a leader, a teacher, surely being one of God's chosen people, if anybody could inherit the kingdom of God, it was him. If anybody could inherit it, it was him. If anybody had the moral pedigree that he had, the moral zealousness, it was him. At the peak of his career, working hard, obeying the commandments, following the Torah, upholding the Sabbath, being circumcised, he was the one who could. It wasn't easy. He just walked into it. He's like, hey, I'm here. I'm Nicodemus. I do it all. And it was him. It was guaranteed. But I wonder if he was really anxious about it. I've seen Jesus and think, oh, I'm doing all these things, but is that really enough? Does this guarantee salvation for me? And I think it's completely fair to say, similarly to Nicodemus, in our culture today, we are also consumed with performance. Whether it's at work, we are also consumed with putting on the front. We, we work hard to appear. We, we strive so that people look at us and think, oh, you're doing so well. We are pushing, we are striving, and we want to be accepted in our works. What we do is we are looking to be validated. We want, we want this validation. We said, Oh, you're working so hard. Oh, yeah, thank you. I know. I'm just, you know. We, 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 we yearn for this. We are seeking this, and we want to do everything right. Nicodemus, this guy, he had it all. He was doing it all. He was the perfect Jewish man. <laughs> but that wasn't enough. 
wasn't enough. Like I said before, if anybody could inherit God's kingdom, it was him. And so during this discussion, Jesus and Nicodemus talk, and, and, and they have this, you know, this chat, and uh, Jesus says to him, and Nicodemus, being a teacher, was ready to give answers, I reckon. And Jesus says to him, no one can see God's kingdom unless, and Nicodemus might have been ready to go, unless you are circumcised. Because that's, that's, that's Jewish law. Unless you are circumcised, you are not part of God's family. And God, Jesus would be like, no. What? Unless you obey the laws of Moses, Jesus? Unless you keep the Sabbath holy? No. Unless you eat kosher? No. Unless? No. There is nothing that Nicodemus could do humanly possible for him to inherit the kingdom of God. There is nothing that I, Nick, can do humanly, physically possible with my own two hands to inherit God's kingdom. And this idea that Jesus talks about, this idea of new birth, this new idea can only, and is only by an act of God, uh, by God, whereby God gives us eternal life and he imparts eternal life to those who will believe in Jesus. And so being born again does not mean that you need more morality in your life. It doesn't mean that you need to do more in your life. It doesn't mean that you need to be like Nicodemus in your life. Nothing that we do in our life, physically possible, with our own hands, gives us access to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it clear, he makes it absolutely clear that you cannot experience uh, the reign of God, that no one can come close or enter God's kingdom, God's domain, God's reign, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much you've tithed this month, no matter how much you've been praying, no matter your degree of piety, your race, your ethnicity, your background, your religious observances, your practices, apart from the experience of new renewal and new birth. Nicodemus, at the peak of his career, is completely stumped. And Jesus says, you must be born again. This is not achieved by undoing, for no one can remove the sin that is in every child of Adam apart from Jesus. Nobody can remove the sin that is inherent in the, every child of Adam apart from Jesus. You must be born again. You must accept Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Savior. To be born again is being willing to receive the free gifts that God is offering to us. It involves abandoning our entitlement. It involves abandoning our performances before the Lord. It involves releasing all attempts on projecting onto God uh, what we think righteousness looks like. It involves a complete surrender it involves being made right with God by doing nothing accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It involves dying to self, putting the old away. It involves being born anew and accepting the free grace, the free gift of grace given to us by Jesus. It involves accepting that so that whoever would dare, whoever would even come to believe, whoever would come in repentance and believe shall not perish, but they shall receive the crown of eternal life. That 
whoever believes in him, he will call heirs of the kingdom and he calls children of God. We read in John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall, uh, uh, shall be saved. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he who gives his one and only son who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's only through Jesus that we receive eternal life. This newness, this reorientation can be likened to a physical birth. It's very similar. Um, for it, it involves us moving from a place of darkness to a place of light. It involves uh, us moving from uh, the, the dominion and, and, of the enemy into God's glorious kingdom. Where we were once confined, restricted, we are set free. This revelation of new birth in this whole text, this revelation of new birth as the gateway to God's kingdom is inevitably, and it becomes, as the conversation develops, the revelation about Jesus himself. Jesus is, Jesus is the one who does and inaugurates God's kingdom. It is because in him, it is through him, the one who came down from heaven, we read in the text, who came from heaven to earth, the one who didn't come as an apparition, as a vision, but the one who became full flesh and bones. And although heaven is his eternal home, he came to live amongst us. He came to speak the language that we speak. And he revealed to us that there is nothing that we can do apart from believing in Jesus Christ for our salvation. The son of man, this Jesus, by becoming flesh, uh, became subject to death, which, which all flesh is subject to. Um, but the death that Jesus died was not a normal death. And we read um, the verse 14, and Jesus makes the analogy of uh, Moses lifting up the snake um, to, to pardon the sins of Israel, that all those who looked upon the snake that was lifted up will be pardoned from their sins. And so it's the same with Jesus, the heavenly son of man, was destined to be lifted up on a cross where he hung like a condemned criminal for all to see and that his death was not a miscalculation or mistake. It was precisely that way that God ordained his love for sinners. Jesus came to pay the penalty for us so that all those who look upon him in faith, all those who look at the feet who were pierced for our transgressions will not be subject to death but receive the crown of eternal life in all its fullness. Because once we were dead in our sins, but because of Jesus, you and I are made alive. It's not about who you are. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about what kind of car you drive. It's about who you know. That's Jesus. You know we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And only Jesus can change that. And when we receive Jesus, when we accept Jesus uh, through that spiritual rebirth, when we accept Jesus in, in him, we are reborn again. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, which is a gift from God. And I said, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. Once we make that commitment, once we decide uh, that we want to be part of God's family uh, we're his children and we become heirs 
trust in Jesus, the one who paid the penalty on the cross for our sins. Trust and call on his name, the one who paid it all. And it says this, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anybody's in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. Trust in Christ and call on his name and you will be a new creation. And Nicodemus recognized and realized, I believe, at that time that actually all I do doesn't matter. It's only Jesus that matters. And if he gave his all to Jesus, if he gave his fullness to Jesus, complete trust in Jesus, and if he came with absolute confidence and, and trust, knowing that I don't have to perform, I don't have to do anything for Jesus to accept me, but only by trusting in him as my Lord and Savior, I am set free. And that is enough. Because Jesus is enough. No additions, no extra, only Jesus. Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? Sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to, to, to think about that too. Is it just Jesus? Is it just Jesus? And I was thinking about this, I was, I was praying and I thought, I, I don't know where people are at. I don't know where our walks are at. And sometimes we have ups and downs. We go through the valleys and we go on the mountaintops and we come down. And sometimes we have moments where we are unsure of our salvation. We are unsure whether we are saved. But in a moment, I just, we're going to pray together and I'm just going to ask us to do a few things. And it's, going to be, it's simple things, but we're just going to be praying together. Um, and one of the things would be, if you haven't, you know, if you haven't given your life to Christ, I'm just going to invite you to do so. If you, if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit and you can give your life to Christ. If you're in a place where, you know, you said, Nick, well, I've been really struggling with this and, and I'm not sure. You can still pray to Jesus and actually for him to reconfirm you and, 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 and to bring you to that place of peace and confidence and trust that he is your Lord and Savior, that you can be secure and confident in him 110%. Because John tells us this, he says, all those who received him, to all those who believed in his name, Jesus gave them rights to become children of God. Not, not a natural descent, but born of God. So will you pray with me? Let's just pray together. You can just bow your head and close your eyes. And like I said, if, if you want to accept Jesus as your savior, then you can just do this, do this simple prayer, like I said, and if you're in this place where maybe you're unsure, uh, you can take what I'm saying and then word it to your own words. Make it something that uh, resembles where your heart is at. And it's, the prayer is simply your way to express to Jesus your faith in him and thanking him for your salvation. So let's pray. God, I know that I have sinned against you and I'm sorry. Jesus Christ died on the cross, took my punishment that I deserved. And so through faith, I ask to be forgiven. I place my trust in him for my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful grace, your wonderful love and your forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Amen. <laughs>